Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography in the Apple ecosystem. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. This episode is sponsored by Take Control Books, ebooks by expert authors you know on tech topics you care about. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for listening to the podcast. This is episode number 11. Just a quick word. If you haven't checked out our Facebook group yet, we've set up a group in order to discuss the podcast and post photos and comment and critique and all of that. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. Drop in on the group. Show us what you've been doing. I don't know about you, but it's pretty hot where I am. In fact, it's too hot for me to go out and make pictures. So I've been spending a little bit more time editing some of my photos and trying to learn some of the tricks of editing. Now, I think I've said a couple of times, I use Apple Photos for most of my editing. I'm not an editing whiz. I don't know all the Lightroom tricks and the Photoshop presets and the the things like that. But Jeff, on the other hand, you know all this stuff. I know a little bit of it, yeah. A little bit. Now he's being modest. You've (laughs) written about it. I've written about it. I thought today we could look at some kinds of editing that can be useful to pretty much everyone. And when you told me about this as a topic idea, I said, you know what? I don't know anything about this. So you're going to have to explain this in a way that I understand it. And since I'm not a Lightroom Photoshop whiz, that's going to be quite a challenge for you. You told me about this idea of selective editing recently. Can you explain what selective editing is? Yeah. So basically, if you look at something like Apple Photos, when you're editing, you're editing the entire image. And that's fine. And, you know, 90% of what most people are going to do with their photos, that covers it. No problem. Selective editing is editing just certain areas of your photo. Now, that sounds simple, but the way a lot of the editing software works, it's not like you can just go in and, you know, paint new pixels onto any area to fix it, for example. Like, you can do that in Photoshop, but there are times when you don't really want to do that, like, let's say, with a landscape, because once you start painting colors on, then it becomes a painting, and unless you're really good at that, it starts to look like that that uh, fresco of Jesus that got repainted. It was in a church in Spain. I'll find a photo and put it in the show notes. It was, yeah, I, it was like some old woman in the town thought that she could restore this fresco. Yes. She restored it, unfortunately, to something that was very little like the original. Yeah. And when we're working on our photos, there is a place for doing really radical edits. But for the most part, you want to stick to what's there in the photo and just enhance it or bring out some details. You don't want to just completely redo it. Or at least that's not what we're talking about today. So when you talk about selective editing, is this similar to the selective color feature in Apple Photos? With the selective color feature, you select a color next to the tool. There are a bunch of little swatches or you use the eyedropper to pick a color. And then you can adjust the hue and the saturation of that color. Now, I actually use that occasionally if I've taken a shot where there's sky in it and I want the sky to be a bit more blue, but I don't want the rest of the photo to be affected. You can just pump up the blue a little bit without changing the rest of the photo. I'll I'll take one of my pictures and put a screenshot in the show notes to show people who don't know what this is. Yes. In that case, you are editing selectively based on color, but you're still affecting all the color in the image. So it's more accurate for me to say that we're talking about uh, editing selective areas. Why would you want to do this? Let's look at a landscape image, for example. What happens quite often is you have... A foreground and a middle ground that is exposed well, but 
because of the sun, your sky ends up being overexposed. Now, there are many things that you can do about it. We've talked about that uh, in previous episodes. As you're shooting, you can underexpose so that you get the, the details in the sky. But then you're you're sort of doing the, this balancing act between sky and, 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 and foreground. So what a selective edit can do is you can just select that sky area, or in this case, you can apply what's called a linear gradient. And so you can select just that area and still retain all of your editing controls, but the edits just apply to those pixels that are selected. So I could say, okay, I want to just reduce the exposure in my sky. But you also have controls over the color of the sky. You have controls over the, the, the shadows and the blacks and, and the whites. All of that, that, that whole tool set is available to you. But you're saying, I just want to make these edits to this one specific area. And we'll have photos in the show notes of the various techniques that Jeff talks about. We'll have screenshots showing how it's done in Lightroom, what the selection looks like, and, and we'll have before and after photos. So there'll be a lot of photos in the show notes of this episode. Make sure to check them out. So you mentioned this is a linear gradient, and what's important to understand is it is a gradient. So in this case, what is it? It's darker at the top and lighter at the bottom, correct? Exactly. And, and the, the reason you do that is because when you're making these kinds of edits, you don't want them to be real obvious. And so what, what a gradient will do is the effect that you choose, let's say you're just dropping the exposure to make a sky darker, and in turn, that's bringing out a lot of detail in the clouds that you're image sensor captured, but may not have been obvious at first. So at the very top of that gradient, the, the top of the image, that's where you, where you will see the most extreme application of those settings. And then as you go down toward the bottom of the gradient, as it blends into the rest of the image, then you have a nice even gradation of how that effect is applied. So it doesn't look like you just you know slapped a big black filter over the top, for example. It doesn't look like trickery. Exactly. As I'm sure everybody has seen before, there are lots of examples where this can be done poorly. What's great about these sort of, of, of gradients and selective edits is that you can get really good results without having to do a whole lot of work. Now, in Photoshop, it's a bit more complicated. In Lightroom, um, which is how I prefer to work, it's, it's not complicated, which is great. So for example, going back to our, our sky example, the gradient will give you a nice smooth blend into the rest of the image. But you might also find areas where there's something that's sticking up into that area, like trees or rocks or something like that. Um, and so you can also erase part of that gradient just to mask off those rocks. And that gives you something that, that still looks natural. It, it doesn't look like you've applied a giant uh, filter over the top of it. It's worth pointing out that you can do some of this in camera. If you have what's called an ND grad filter, which is a graduated neutral density filter, this is something that you put in front of your lens and you line up the graduation in the filter so that sort of point where it goes from gray to clear is about where the horizon is. Of course, this means you're shooting on a tripod. This is much more complicated setup to make the photos, but I guess you're going to get much better photos because you won't have anything that's overexposed 
and you'll be able to get your exposure a lot even when you're working like that, right? Yeah. This really goes back to some of the things we've talked about in terms of getting things right in camera versus being able to, to edit later. I think I am more inclined to not use the graduated filter just because that's something that you have burned in, into the sensor. If you're shooting raw, especially, you have a pretty wide latitude over what you can do using something like a linear gradient, um, these sorts of selective edits. And also the filter is one more thing you need to carry in your photo bag. One more piece of gear you need to protect because they're fragile glass and one more thing to buy. So right now we've, we've talked about uh, linear gradients. There are three types of, of these selective edits. You can do a linear gradient, uh, there's also a radial gradient. With a radial gradient, you have a circle or an oval, and the highest intensity of the effect is in the middle and then smooths out as you go outward. Or you can invert it and have it so that the outer areas are, are, are the highest intensity. So is the radial gradient kind of like a vignette? A radial gradient can be used for a vignette. In fact, if you just apply a radial gradient and, and darken the exposure that's the effect that you get, although there's a separate vignetting tool in, in all of these, these applications. Right, because the vignette starts from the outside of the photo and comes in, but the radial gradient, does it start in the center and go out? Is that how it is? You can do either one. You can, you can set it so that it, it goes out to in, or there's usually a box that says invert. And so one way that I like to use um, radial gradients is actually with portraits or pictures of people. Because what you can do is, if there's somebody whose face is just a little bit dark, maybe they're, they're a little bit in shadow, or you know, just the, the circumstances of the day, you know, let's say half of their face is darker than you would like. Rather than trying to go in and like touch that up with a, with a brush tool, what you can do is, is just put a, a linear gradient on that side of their face and bump up the exposure or bump up the shadows a little bit. And that brings more light into their face without having that harsh edge or any sort of really edgy look at how I've processed this effect. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you've been talking about darkening and lightening, but I assume that you can do other things with these gradients. I'm thinking of a tool that I like to play with in Snapseed, which is an iOS app. It's the lens blur tool where you focus on a specific area and it's in focus and what's outside of that sort of gradient gets out of focus. It's not like portrait mode on an iPhone where it actually detects the shape of the face and puts everything else blurred, but it kind of, the same way a vignette leads the eye toward the center, a slight lens blur can do that in different types of photos. In fact, I'll put a photo in the show notes that I took at a in a graveyard in a church recently where I put the lens blur effect on in Snapseed I'm not really one for this kind of gimmick, but I like the way it came out. That can be really effective, especially if you're really trying to focus the viewer's attention on one area. To answer your question, almost all of the basic editing and exposure and color tools are available with these gradients, with these selective edits. Not a whole lot of, of focus although you can uh, adjust like clarity. So going from like a real harsh edge to real softness, but that can be a really good tool. Like you said, rather than trying to give it that, that really exaggerated, uh, super blurry uh, miniature toy look that, that uh, is, is sometimes popular, but you can just soften the edges around somebody so that they really pop. 
more. Let's take a break. And when we come back, Jeff is going to explain the third tool that you can use for selective editing. The Photoactive Podcast is brought to you by Take Control Books, ebooks by expert authors you know on tech topics you care about. Take Control publishes books about Apple hardware and software, including books by Jeff and me. Take Control Books help you understand your Mac or iOS device, focusing on topics such as keeping your devices working well, privacy, security, and how to use popular Apple and third-party apps. Take Control Books are published like software. We offer free bug fixes and minor updates and discounted upgrades to new editions. Some Take Control books that might interest you include Jeff's Take Control of Your Digital Photos and Take Control of Lightroom CC, Jason Snell's Photos, a Take Control Crash Course, and I've written Take Control books about iTunes, Scrivener, LaunchBar, and Audio Hijack. We have a special offer for photoactive listeners. You can get 30% off any book using the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. Go to TakeControlBooks.com slash PHOTOACTIVE, that's PHOTOACTIVE in one word, and you'll get the discount automatically. Take Control Books, ebooks by expert authors you know on tech topics you care about. Okay, so you talked about linear gradient, radial gradient, and you said there was a third. The third is a brush tool. So basically, you get the same controls, but you don't have that, that soft gradient area. So for example, especially if you have a Wacom tablet, or if you're on an iPad with an Apple Pencil, some apps will support this. You can just, you know, paint specific areas. For example, in, in one of the images that uh, is going to be in the show notes, there was just a, a little pool of water in this image. And I liked that it sort of draws your eye, but it was also a little flat. So I added a little bit of color from the sky just to that area right there, which I could not have easily done with a linear gradient or radial gradient because it's got some pretty specific edges. But using a brush, I could just paint that right in. Now, the downside, of course, is you risk having your sharp edges. You you risk making the effect seem obvious. So it takes some trial and error. It takes some skill, but can really give a, a little bit of extra pop or a little bit of emphasis in small areas. Well, what you said is really important. It takes some skill to get these things right. W one of the problems with this type of editing is that sometimes, as you said before, it gets overdone. It looks wrong. It looks harsh. It looks artificial. And the, the only way you can learn how to do this is by practicing on a lot of photos. I, I, I would recommend if anyone wants to try this, um, take any photo you have. Don't necessarily take a photo where you'd want to apply this type of edit. Just take any photo, take a picture out your window, and then start working on it just to understand how the tool works. Then when you try it on an actual photo that you want to edit, you'll be a lot better equipped to make that sort of a change. Another thing that I want to bring up about these selective edits, depending on the software that you're using, the application of these is a little bit different. So for example, one big reason that, that these exist in something like, say, Lightroom is Lightroom doesn't support layers like Photoshop or Luminar does. And with layers, you can do all sorts of things. You can you know, stack a whole bunch of different effects. You can create masks. But Lightroom is not trying to be Photoshop specifically. And so quite often when we go to edit some photos and start thinking about different layers, it can be daunting because you can really 
go out of control, adding different layers, editing different layers. Someone who's really adept at Photoshop, that's not a problem. But quite often you don't really need all that because in Lightroom, with a selective edit, what you're basically doing is creating a layer without having a layers interface because you are affecting pixels on an overlay, essentially, of your image and, and being able to say, okay, I want these to be more red. I want the contrast to be higher here. Imagine you have one of those anatomical drawings where the plastic sheets, the clear plastic uh, acetate sheets went over in layers. That's kind of how selective edits work. And what's nice about the approach in, let's say, you know, Lightroom and a bunch of other apps is that you can apply a whole bunch of different ones without having to deal with, is this a layer that's above this or below that? They all just exist right there. And when you want to edit one, they each have their own little control point to select it. Right. I find layers very confusing because of that, because I never know which layer needs to be nested under another one, how the layers are supposed to be merged because there's always choices of dealing with it. And I and, and so what you're talking about in Lightroom is the same way Apple Photos works. You've got a bunch of controls and you can adjust them and then you can just uncheck them to turn them off. But you don't have to think about all this complication of what's where and do I have to flatten the layers and do I have to merge them in a certain way? Don't get me wrong. Layers are amazingly powerful, but you don't always need that power to get really good results. And so that's the whole point of of using these selective edits where you can add something. And also uh, what's also nice is you're not destructively editing the pixels below it. So you can make all the changes you want to a selective edit. And if you don't like it, you just delete that one edit and, and you're good. Yeah, I think that's an important point. And we stressed this in some other episodes where we've talked about editing photos, that all of these apps let you make non-destructive edits. Your original is never altered. So you don't have to worry that, well, if I do this wrong, then I'm going to mess up the photo. You can either turn off that particular thing or reset it. In Apple Photos, there's a little arrow button. You click it and it resets it to the default for, let's say, clarity or shadows and highlights or whatever it is. And this allows you to play with your images to try things out. And, and of course, you can also just press Command-Z to undo things. Most of these apps have unlimited undos or at least 128,000 undos. So you can just step back and undo the last eight or 10 things that you've done. One other thing I want to point out here is that these features are specific to each program. And what I mean by that is if you apply a bunch of uh, selective edits, that's great. If you export that image as a JPEG to share it somewhere, then those edits get burned into, into that image. If you apply these edits in, let's say, Lightroom CC, they sync to Lightroom Mobile on the iPad or on the iPhone, and you can still continue to edit them. But you can't just open that file in another editor, even if that editor also supports gradients, and expect that software to see all of those changes. Right. This is one of the problems with photo editing apps. They are all silos. You can write a document in Microsoft Word and you can convert it and open it with another word processor or a text editor. But with photo apps, you can't do that at all. Everything is a silo and you're stuck into that ecosystem, which is 
also a good reason to explore these apps before committing your entire photo library to them. Absolutely. So another point is that the apps don't even call these things the same. I just opened a photo in Luminar to look, and they don't call it selective editing. They talk about an adjustable gradient. And you can make changes to the top and the bottom, and you can set the orientation, which is basically where the center of the gradient is, where the top and the bottom are, and where the lines are that control how much it fades. But this terminology is different from other apps. So depending on which app you're using, you may need to look up in the documentation, if there is any, or search on Google to find exactly what they call these things. So just to mention another app that I use occasionally, Affinity Photo, there is actually a gradient tool. You create a new pixel layer, and then you pull down from the top with the gradient tool, and you adjust where the gradient's going to start and end, and you can see that it's lighter or darker, and then you apply your edits to it in certain ways. So at the top of the layer section, you can choose normal, darken, lighten, color dodge, add, overlay, etc. And I don't honestly know what these things are, because I'm not really up on all of this. But just to point out that each app has its own approach to this and its own terminology, and it can be a little bit confusing to figure this out. I think the takeaway that we want to leave people with is that when they think of editing their photos, they, they think of like, I'm going to do something to the entire photo. And this gives you another dimension without having to become a layers expert. A layers expert. That's an interesting idea. And and that's probably something that, you know, when I look at some of these articles or even YouTube videos about people editing photos, they are all layers experts and they are all putting layers all over the place. And as I said earlier, layers confuse me. I don't know which go where, how they blend and things like that. So, so I think, yeah, your, your point is good that you don't need to worry about layers or Affinity Photo does a layer for gradient, but you only need that one layer. You don't need to be selecting things all over the place in order to make this sort of adjustment. Right. These are things that, that you can do if you have something like Lightroom that you can do without having to understand any of that because the the interface is nicely done in that you create a selective edit it's got a little blob that lets you grab it and you can move it around and you can see immediately where that gradient is and you can see immediately what the edits that you make to it, the effects that, that it's going to have on the image, which is really great. And also that you don't have to worry about a lot of that specific how to blend different things. I sort of feel like I am disparaging the more advanced things like like Photoshop, but it, that takes a sizable learning curve to really wrap your head around how those work, where you can get very similar effects. Again, like we mentioned, being able to make edits that aren't really glaring as, oh, I have edited this image. You can make subtle edits that improve parts of the image that don't really stand out. Because, of course, the whole point is you want a good overall image. And as you do more editing, you have a better eye for such things. And you can say, oh, I know that this rock over here would benefit by being just a little bit brighter. It doesn't have to be, you know, nuclear orange brightness. It can just be a little bit of, of, of accentuation or you can make one other area slightly darker because you're trying to help direct the viewer's eye. And that's the type of edits that can be done here. 
And just to repeat something that I've said many times in this podcast, and I'll say many more times, what interests me in photography is the pictures I take and not the editing I apply to them. I'm more interested in composition than editing. And, and of course, I recognize the, the interest of doing this sort of editing, but when the editing takes hours and hours, it's no longer photography for me. It's computer graphics. And that, to me, isn't interesting. Now, maybe to you and some other people, it is interesting, and I can respect that. But that's not the way I see photography. One of the reasons to do this topic today is because, yes, you're exactly right. But these types of selective edits don't actually have to take hours and hours. And I think that's the real strength in that you can make edits that significantly improve your photo without spending a whole lot of time doing it and without having to understand that level. Okay, time for our snapshots. Jeff, what have you got this week? I have here a MyOps mobile dongle. And what that does is it connects your camera to your smartphone. And there's an app, there's a MyOps app because there's, there's always an app. What the app does, the app and the cable control the camera as a remote trigger. Now, there are lots of different uses for that, just, just for triggering the shutter. But because you have the software in the app, you can do really interesting things like use the uh, microphone in the phone to snap a camera shot, say, when a loud noise happens, like a, a fireworks or something. Or use the camera in the iPhone to take a picture when something passes in front of the camera. There are a whole bunch of different uses. You can use it as an intervalometer to take a whole bunch of different shots over a long period of time, HDR bracketing, things like that. There are a lot of different things you can do. And all you need is this cable that talks to the phone and the app. Okay, does this work with any camera? It does work with any camera, but you need to have the right cable that connects to the USB port on the camera. So some some cameras have like like a longer longer connection and it connects to an iPhone with a lightning cable. It connects through the headphone cable, but that means on your most recent ones, most recent iPhones you need to use your little uh lightning to headphone dongle. Sigh. Sigh, yes. We hate that Apple removed the headphone jack. Kirk, how about you this week? Well, interestingly, I have something that's somewhat similar. I've mentioned macro photography, and when I shoot macro photography, I often use a tripod because you have to get your focusing just right. And when you're using a camera handheld, you're moving a tiny little bit. And when you're at really close distances, you don't have a lot of leeway. Now, back in the day when I shot film, I had one of those cable releases that screws into the shutter and has a button that you push. And I think they're really cool. But I looked here, they're like 12 or 15 pounds. And instead, I bought a little electronic cable release. It goes into the USB jacks on cameras, and it's just got a button. It's some brand called Shoot Remote Switch. I'll link in the show notes to some brand. There's a bunch of brands that make this. It was like six pounds. It's just basically got the one button. And when you half press that button, you can focus and you can get exposure. And then when you full press, it shoots. I find this a great little gizmo to have. There's no batteries. It doesn't need a dongle to go in the headphone jack. It just goes right into the cameras. And anytime I want to shoot something on a tripod, I do this because when you press that shutter button on the tripod, you are moving the camera a little bit. So if you're in really close focus, you don't want to move it at all. I'll stick a photo in the show notes that I took this weekend of a sunflower. And 
what I wanted to do was get a very specific part of the sunflower in focus. If I was doing this by pressing the shutter button myself, it would have taken 100 shots to get this. Whereas I just took a few using the shutter release and it makes it a lot better. Does this release also have a switch that, that can be locked down? So if you want to uh, do like, like a long burst mode? If you want to do a burst mode, you would just hold it. You can also do a long exposure. You push the button in and then you slide it forward and that locks it. So you could do an exposure that lasts five minutes or 10 minutes. In fact, there's this meteor shower in a few weeks in August and I've never tried that sort of photography, but I was thinking of using this and putting one of my cameras on a tripod to see how it works. That's great because then your finger doesn't completely fall asleep because you're holding it for so long. Right. And it's hard to pick up a glass of wine and drink it when you have to keep holding the button. Terrible, terrible things that we have to deal with. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or in Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Don't forget that you can get 30% off any purchase at Take Control Books with the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. Go to TakeControlBooks.com slash photoactive. That's photoactive in one word, and you'll get the discount automatically. Until next week, thanks again for listening.